always about what we do. Love is not a word, it's an action. And uh, when we're, uh, we, can, we might be able to espouse with words uh, who we are in Christ and give the right uh, answers, but our lives would need to show that, would need to give evidence to that. And so we're going to look this morning at what would be uh, a response that would evidence a right identity in Christ by looking at uh, a parable that Jesus told. It's, a, it's one of the least um, talked about or taught on passages uh, that Jesus gives us in the Gospels. And really, uh, I'm not sure why that is. It, it's, it's not hard to understand. It uh, could be that it's uh, maybe hard to internalize, but then so much of what Jesus said is, and so um, this is no different. Most of what Jesus says is contrary to what we would naturally think or believe. And so I want us to look in Luke 17, beginning in verse 7. Jesus says, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till you have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Now let's just stop here for a second. Jesus asked a sequence of rhetorical questions. In other words, um, when Jesus says, now if you had a servant who was out working in the field... And they came in from the field. Uh, would the master say, sit down and eat? And the answer to the first question would be no. And then the next question is, but wouldn't it be true that uh, the servant would actually prepare food for the master? And then once the master had eaten, then afterwards the servant would eat. To which the answer would be yes. And then the last question in verse 9, do, does he thank the servant? In other words, does the master thank the servant? Uh, that he worked hard that day or that he worked in the field or that he served him in the way that he did? And the answer to that would be no. So Jesus is just laying out a very um, uh, common uh, uh, example of a relationship between a master and a servant. This could be uh, an example in our context of, uh, of an employer and an employee even. It could be, uh, you know, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect your employer to thank you for doing your job to which you were being paid for, would you? No, it's your job. That's why you're there. And so, um, you know, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't ask your boss to do your job for you while you took a break because you had, uh, you know, you were tired from doing what was expected of you. That would be inappropriate. And so, but... But there's more than that. Jesus is really, he's, he's tapping into something that has permeated our culture. And really it's this issue of entitlement. You know, that this servant in this parable is one who seems entitled as Jesus would present it. In other words, they, they would come in and sit down as if, well, you know, I've been working in the field all day. And so now it's my turn to eat. And so you should serve me as if they're entitled to something. And really he's teaching us that uh, a true servant would never... Expect to be served before the master. A true servant would never expect to be served before the master. In other words, a servant would always understand that their job is to serve first. 
And if the master chooses to serve, that would be after the servant serves. So in verse 10, Jesus says, so likewise, you. So he turns this story around and he brings it down personal. And he says, when you have done all the things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Now, maybe that's the key to why so many people avoid this text. Because Jesus says that, well, after doing all that you should do as a servant, you, you've accomplished everything that you uh, are supposed to be doing. You're unprofitable servants. Well, we have done what was our duty to do. In other words, there, there's no reason for uh, the master to um, throw a party for you or to be, uh, you know, to respond to you in any way other than, well, that's what anyone in your position ought to do as a servant. Now, that may seem a little harsh, but then think about, for example, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where the scripture says, the apostle Paul says, I beseech you. I beseech you, brethren, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, which is uh, holy and acceptable to the Lord. It's your reasonable service. So being, presenting your life as a sacrifice to God is reasonable service. As a servant to God, doing the things that we've been commanded to do is our reasonable service. That's what's reasonable. But somehow... Things have gotten tangled around. In other words, we live in a culture and a time where it's the opposite. The servant expects to be served first. And then the master. In other words, the servant expects that things would be done for them first. And then if they're uh, satisfied with the service that they've received, if they're satisfied with the way the master has responded to them, then if the master's lucky, they'll serve the servant. What do I mean by that? Well, if we're talking about uh, being servants and we're talking about serving a master, we realize that Jesus really isn't talking about a, a human earthly situation. He's talking about his servants serving him. And he might be talking about us, for example, coming to church and sitting in a pew and expecting God to serve us. And if God serves us, then we may in return serve him. Now that doesn't happen, does it? No. There's no one here today who came to church this morning, who's sitting in this room this morning, who's not serving the master. You see, we actually have convinced ourselves in this day and age that just coming to church is serving the master, haven't we? Yeah, a lot of people think, well, I'm coming to church. And they expect God to be up and going, well, thank you for that so much. And God's thinking, well, now wait a minute. You got some things confused here. In other words, if you have a right identity of who you are in Christ, 
The only way that would happen is you'd have to really understand who you were before Christ, and then you'd have to understand what God has done for you in Christ, and then you would never, ever come to the master expecting to be served, you would always come with a heart ready to serve him. Now, wouldn't we? Well, yes, of course we would. We ought to. We should. And so if over the course of the last two weeks we've, we've straightened out some identity crisis in our fellowship, if, if some of you in this room have gotten some things in order with uh, regards to your identity and who you are and God set you free from some of the chains of bondage that have been holding you down and some of the lies that the enemy has been putting in your head that have twisted things around and, and, and sort of uh, turned things into uh, something that they ought not be, well, in your new right identity with God, I want you to understand that the first thing that should sort of resonate in your heart is, wow, in light of all that God has done for me, I, I, there's no way I could, I, 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 can't, I can't serve Him too much. I want to serve God. And it would be presumptuous for me to, to, to just come and sit and expect to be served. That, that would, well, I mean, it would be ridiculous, would it not? And I, I wonder what the, the, the misconceptions are that might cause a servant to come and sit before the master and expect the master to serve them. And then if they feel good about the way they've been served, then they'll decide whether or not they want to serve the master. That is a very twisted relationship, is it not? How about, I don't have time. There's a good misconception. I don't have time. I don't have time to serve God. Okay, well, what do we have time for? I say this all the time because it's true. doesn't matter who I'm talking to. It's always true. There's no one in this room busier than me. That's the truth. No one. And yet, for the joy of all that God has accomplished in my life, and I do mean joy, I spent my day off and every possible spare moment I had all week perfecting my brand new game <laughs> that is going to absolutely blow your mind. I mean, we've taken the fall festival to a whole new level this year. Now, what have you spent your week doing? Good things, I'm sure. But I just wonder sometimes. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, I, I like to joke and pick with you about, you know, it's my way of motivating you. But at the same time, there's some truth to that in the reality that it, it doesn't just matter to me because I'm the pastor. It matters to me because it matters to God. It really, really matters to me. It really does. And so 
in the weeks leading up to the fall festival, I think about the thousands of faces that we're going to see this afternoon. And I think about what they represent. And I think about the smiles that I'm going to get to see on the faces of children and the faces of parents because their children are smiling. Uh, every year I get to see faces that I recognize from years earlier, get to catch up with people that I haven't seen. I, I get to just, it's, it's just phenomenal. It is such a phenomenal experience. And yet the reality is, is that we're not all equally pumped up about it. Some of you won't be there. I don't understand that. I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand how. Or you just show up and you really haven't thought about it all. I don't, I don't understand. I just don't. We say we don't have time. Another misconception. We say, well, the church doesn't need help. Well, that may be true. It may not be true. I mean, a few minutes ago, we all gave a standing ovation to this amazing choir that was up here singing and we received the blessing we were served by them well weren't we and their leaders work every Wednesday night with all the children's choirs every Wednesday night and they're short-handed and they need help and there's a good percentage of you in here that you don't don the doors of the church on a Wednesday night you're too busy doing other things and you could be helping those children and you receive the blessing you could be helping. We need help there. And so the church just keeps growing and growing and growing. And our responsibility keeps growing and growing. And the church always needs help. It always does. Because that's the point of the church is that we all do this together. God's given you a gift to use. We need senior citizens working with our young people. We need, they need a lot of those kids don't have grandmother and grandfather figures in their life. We need you involved to, to, to help and to participate. But we don't have time or we, don't, we think the church doesn't need any help, which would be totally unbiblical. Or I have nothing of value to offer, which again would be totally unbiblical. The Bible says that we've each been gifted. And so those gifts are intended for us to use. And so there's an opportunity to use those gifts or... Maybe we say, well, there's other people that are more qualified to serve. Well, I don't really know what that means. Uh, I mean, if you're a servant and the master's commanded you to serve, which he has, then there's really no discussion about qualification. It just is. No, nobody's asking you to, to be the pastor. They're just, God's just asking you to serve, to find a place to serve, to be a part or Maybe another misconception would be, well, I'll be asked to serve in an area that I don't enjoy. Well, it's the kingdom of God, right? So what exactly does that mean? I always tell my starting point class when we're talking about service, I make sure that they understand. I say, now listen, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not calling anybody to do anything that, that, that I haven't done or wouldn't do. And I want you to know that, that while I do the things that I do, I enjoy them, not because of what they are, but because of who they're for. 
There's not, a, there's not a commode on this campus that I haven't scrubbed. I've cleaned every toilet on this campus. You know how many toilets there are on this campus? You know, I say, don't tell my wife she's out of town, so let's don't tell her that I've done that, okay? <laughs> every one of them. And when I was doing that, I wasn't just, you know, wah, 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 wah. I mean, it's God's house. I mean, I'm grateful to do whatever God gives me the opportunity to do, right? It's the kingdom. It's, it's all for him. So it may not be the most enjoyable thing, but that's okay. I take out the trash, I'll vacuum the floors, whatever. It's for the kingdom. And so it's all, it's not an issue of, well, I mean, at the end of the day, the master has commanded me to do something. Now, I know who I am in Christ. So I know who I was before Christ, and I know what God has done for me in Christ. And so therefore, none of those things I just listed are even relevant, are they? Well, no, of course they're not. Now notice what the very next passages in Luke's gospel. Look what happens in the very next story. Notice. Everything is for an exact reason in Scripture. Verse 11. Now it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village there, he met ten men who were lepers and stood afar off. Now imagine Jesus is going through uh, Samaria and there's these ten lepers. Now, they stood afar off because they're not allowed to be close. They have to be, you know, 50 yards away. They're unclean. As soon as uh, people, civilians, would approach a leper, they would have to cover their face and shout, unclean, unclean, and warn you from 50 yards away to get away, get away, don't come near me because I'm a leper. They were completely uh, rejected from all of society. Uh, they were completely alienated from their families or anything that was familiar to them. And so there's these ten men who stood afar off. And so they started screaming at Jesus in verse 13. And they start shouting, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, now let's just think for a second. Jesus just got done telling a parable about a servant who would come in and plop down and expect the master to serve him. Wanted some kind of special recognition for just doing what would be the natural thing for a servant to do. Jesus just got done telling a story about, well, even if you've done all that you were commanded to do, that's just what you're commanded to do. I mean... Now we see these ten lepers. They're completely hopeless and helpless. There's no cure for their disease. There's no chance that anything's ever going to change for them. Basically, they're just out there uh, to die. They're just out there to die. There's no, I mean, there, there's no, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel for them. But interestingly, when they see Jesus, in light of what he's talking about, what he just finished teaching us, when they see Jesus, they shout, for mercy. Jesus, show mercy. Sort of a reminder, isn't it? What's it a reminder of? It's a reminder of who were we before we had the most amazing opportunity in our life to become a servant. Who were we? We were lepers. We were far off. We were hopeless. 
We were helpless. There was no cure for the disease of sin that was running through our veins. And all the things that we had done, all of our regrets, all the things that had been done to us, all that, there was no cure for that. What were we going to do? There was, we, we couldn't behave our way out of the situations we were in. We couldn't change anything. We could try to pretend we were happy, but eventually it wouldn't last. I mean, what were we going to do? We were lepers, and we, we, we had this incredible opportunity to become servants. And now we see ten men shouting, who sort of represent us before Christ. They're shouting, have mercy on us. So when Jesus saw him in verse 14, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. Now, that's a bit of a confusing statement. Why does Jesus send them to go show themselves to the priests? And it says, as they're going, they were cleansed. Jesus doesn't need them to go to the priest to be healed, obviously. He could have healed them from 50 yards away if he'd have wanted to. He could have done anything he wanted to do. He doesn't give them a healing. He gives them a command, doesn't he? See, they didn't come to him. They didn't shout, have mercy, and then they were healed. That's not what happened. There's a sequence. To it. There's a progression of truth. Isn't that what we've been learning? So what happens first? Jesus gives them a command. They obey the command, and then they're healed. Oh, there's a progression. They ask for mercy. Jesus gives them a command. Does that make sense? Does that confuse you? Well, why didn't Jesus give them mercy? Well, he gave them a command. You're, you're learning something about the economy of the kingdom. You see, it's in their response to the command that they're healed. The going to show themselves to the priest is merely a function of who in, in this time and culture determined that a person was a leper and that they were unclean. The priest made that determination and, and then they were banished. And, and the only one who could make the de determination that they didn't have leprosy and that they were welcomed back into fellowship with society would be the priest. And so Jesus knew that he was going to heal them. He gave them a command. As soon as they obeyed his command, he then healed them. And he was sending them to the priest so they could go show the priest that they were healed so that they could go back to their families. They could go and live their lives. That a new day had dawned. But listen, that doesn't negate the fact that when he says, go and show yourself to the priest, how many of us would have just stood there and went, huh? What do you mean? You're Jesus. You're God. Why do I need to show myself to the priest? What has that got to do with anything? Well, I mean, I'm asking you for mercy, and you're telling me to go show myself to the priest. What I want is mercy. See, we come into church. What we want is something. We want mercy. We want blessing. We want God to do something. And God gives us a command, but we don't understand the command. The command doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit into our our thinking, we don't, we don't see. So we, we hear a sermon, we read a passage, we, we, but, but we're not connecting the dots. And so we don't run to the priest. And guess what happens to everyone who doesn't run to the priest? They're not healed. You see, if you only obey commands you understand... If you only obey commands that make sense to you, 
Or if you only obey commands that are convenient to you, you're not obeying God. You're agreeing with God. And there's a huge difference. If you only obey commands that you understand, if you only obey commands that make sense to you, if you only obey commands that are convenient for you, you're not obeying God, you're agreeing with Him. The command to go show yourself to the priest made no sense to them. The discussion about the servant who would sit down and the master would serve him. I mean, if we're honest to most of us, we would think, well, man, he's been out working in the field all day. I mean, we, you know, it'd be nice if the master would just come and serve him since he's been out sweating in the field all day. That is to misunderstand the relationship between servant and master. That's to misunderstand who you are as a servant and who he is as a master. It certainly doesn't mean that he's above serving you because we know better than that, I would hope. But there's a progression. There's a progression. You don't just come in, plop down at the table, and expect God to serve you. You don't just come in, plop down in the pew, and expect God to serve you. That's not how it works. There's a progression. And when people understand who they are in Christ, things change. One of the things that change is the way that you as a servant embrace your servanthood and your relationship to the master radically change. If they don't change in a way that we can tangibly see and observe, then the identity is still broken. Still broken. So we see these ten men. They're physically doomed. They're legally doomed. They're relationally doomed. I mean, they're doomed in every way possible. Servants of Christ. Servants with right identity. Servants who know who they are and who know who Christ is. They serve Christ in a particular way. What I'm about to say, I would challenge you to, to read the New Testament through this lens and see if it's not true. People whom God uses greatly, people who, whose identity in Christ is secure, they don't just serve Christ. They serve Christ with no boundaries. No stipulations and no strings attached. They serve Christ when they don't understand, when it doesn't make sense, and when it's not convenient. And here's the thing. They find joy in it the whole time because of who the master is. You ever been doing something for the Lord? And there's always... You know, that, that, that testing that's going on. You know, the whole time is that I'm uh, busy serving God, it's not like my cell phone stops buzzing. It's just buzzing in my pocket nonstop. It's just going and going and going and going. It's not like the, 
the, the needs go away because I'm serving God? No. And then there's this temptation to think to yourself, well, you know, in light of all that I'm doing, it would seem like, you know, God, maybe you could, you know, stop my cell phone from, from buzzing so much. Or could we just, you know, have a day with no catastrophes? But here's the thing. Then I have to remind myself, wait a second. Wait a second. Let's just remember 24-and-a-half-year-old Tony the leper. Oh, man, I wouldn't go back there for $10 million. No way. I remember the, the weight and the misery of my sin and not just knowing that things were wrong and not having any clue as to what was going on. What was my purpose? Why was I here? What, was all, what, what did everything going on around me mean? And then he saved me. Then I start thinking about the one whom I'm serving, and I just begin to smile. The sweat's still running down my face. The phone's still buzzing in my pocket. But I'm happy because of him. I'm happy. And all I can think about is all the people that I know that aren't happy and don't know him like I know him. And I want them to know him. I want them to know how happy and wonderful it makes you to serve him. See, just the reminder of how hopeless we once were. And how gracious God is. We... Why would we even have a conversation about the master serving us? And here's the thing. Do I really need to ask the master? Do I need to sit down at the table and ask the master to to feed me? When in my right identity with who I am in Christ, I know that everything I have and ever will have is a gift from him. And that he's a perfect provider, isn't he? And that every table I ever sit at, he provides, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And that whatever I need, he'll meet that need. And whatever I want, he'll at least give consideration to. And the things that I don't have, I know in my heart I don't need. And the things that I want and don't get, I know in my heart I would only hurt me or lead me astray. And that really... All of the things around me and through me and are all the things that he wants the way they are and that I have a lot to be grateful for. And so I know that, I know that a meal's coming because I know that he's going to provide it. And so I don't need to plop down and demand that he... I know that he will. You see, it's a conversation that I don't even need to have. And what's so shocking is here's the Son of God having this conversation with people who don't get it. And who's the one speaking? The greatest servant who's ever lived, isn't The one who comes not to do his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him. The one who, who wasn't forced to do anything, but who said, I, no one forces me to lay my life down, but I lay my life down. Because I love the Father. 
Jesus would never sit at a table and demand the Father feed him, would he? No, never. He came to seek and to save that which was lost and give his life as a ransom for many, didn't he? A ransom for you. What is a ransom? A ransom is a a payment made to free a slave, isn't it? Yeah. If you're a servant here this morning, the way you became a servant was someone had to pay the ransom to free you from slavery. The Bible says you were born a slave to sin. And so Jesus came willingly. No one forced him to lay his life down. He, he in, in gladness, gave his life to pay the ransom to free me and you from slavery. Who did he pay the ransom to? He said to give his life as a ransom. Who did he pay it to? I know some of you are thinking to yourself, because it's always true, especially in a crowd this large, people always think, well, he paid the ransom to Satan. He didn't pay a ransom to Satan. Now, let's think about that a second. God doesn't pay Satan anything. So who was the ransom paid to? Jesus paid the ransom to who? The Father. The Father. Every sin you ever committed was against the Father. Jesus paid the ransom to the Father on your behalf. And he did it with joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Isn't that what the Bible says? You begin to see the picture of servitude. Would Jesus sit down at the table and demand the Father? No, he would never do that. His whole life was to serve the Father. He never complained. Did Jesus serve the Father in ways that were convenient to him? Did he serve the Father in ways that made sense to him? You ever read the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? You think he, it made sense to him? What was about to take place on Calvary, on that cross? You think as the whips were lashing into his flesh on his back, he was thinking, yeah, this is sensible, I get this. You think when nails were being driven right through his hands and feet, he was thinking, yeah, this is uh, sure. He was obeying the Father. So that you would have an opportunity to be a servant. I think maybe the biggest problem we have today is that when I say the word servant, you think of something negative. God slaughtered his son so that you'd have the opportunity to say, I'm a servant. Think about it. Now, who in their right mind would say, Amen. I'm a servant. But I'm not sure I want to serve, or I'm not sure I can serve anymore, or I'm not sure I... Or You see, 
Notice in verse 15 what happens to this one leper. So 10 of them, as they go, they receive a command, they go and they're healed. So all 10 of them experience these first three progressions, but then one thing changes. Verse 15, but one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice he glorified God and he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Now there is a servant who understands, isn't it? Yeah. The other nine, they just kept on running. They were heading, boy, they got healed. They were heading to the priest. They were going home. They were going to see mama. They were going to hug their kids. They were going to, I'm sure this one wanted to do the same things, but there was something he needed to do first. He needed to go back. Once he realized he was healed, once he realized, wait a second, I'm healed. Everything else sort of faded away. You know, one day I realized I'm a servant. What? Me? I'm a servant. I get to serve God. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to walk and do life with servants. You see, he didn't return to benefit himself, he was already healed. Wasn't he? Yeah. He didn't go back to get something else. He was already healed. He could have just kept running. It wasn't like the other nine got unhealed. No. He was just responding to right identity. Some people obey God so he won't get them. So he won't hurt them. They're like, well, I, I, need, to, I need to obey God because if I don't, he's going to get me. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with that is it leads you down a very dangerous path. If you serve God so that it benefits you, or if you serve God so that, you, so that God doesn't get you, then you're really not serving God at all, are you? You're serving yourself. You see, if you're just serving God so that it benefits you, you're really serving you. If you're just serving God because you're afraid God's going to get you, you're just serving you. You're just trying to keep yourself out of hot water. You're just doing what you need to do to keep... I mean, where did you get that relationship from? Who made that lie up? Where does that mentality even, even come from? What verse did, did, did that come from? Oh, no, that came from your flesh. That didn't come from the Scripture. That didn't come from God. That's not the way He relates to us. That's not the way we're to relate to Him. We're to relate like this leper who just runs back and falls on his, at His feet and says, Thank you. Thank you. What in the world can I do for you? Maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're lonely. You're in, a, you're in a dark place. You're in a difficult season of life. You're, you're having challenges with your children. You're, you don't understand. You're, 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 you're frozen where you are. You're listening to everything I'm saying, but you feel like, I, I don't, it, I, I'm barely hanging on. I don't have anything else to give. 
I feel this compulsion to respond to what you're saying, but, but, but I don't even have any margin in my life. Maybe for you it's not really time. It's more about you're frustrated with the master. If you were honest, you're just frustrated with the master because things haven't gone the way you think they ought to go. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and every friend you have has gotten married. And there you are still single. And the truth is, you know, your, your heart is hard towards God because you're like, God, I, you know, I, I want to be married. And I'm not married. Maybe for you, you're, oh, you are married, but you, you, you want to have kids and you can't get pregnant. So your heart gets hard towards God because you're like, God, I just want to have kids. Is that a bad thing? Why don't you? And so you're, you're, but you're sitting at the table and you're saying, God, serve me. Serve me, God. And you're, you're, you may be so broken in your identity that you may even hear what I'm saying as if you serve God, He'll give you kids. Or if you serve God, He'll give you a spouse. And I'm not saying anything like that. That's the furthest thing from what I'm saying. I'm saying if you don't serve God, you're missing out on the greatest opportunity you have in the world, which is to be a servant. Which is why He sent His Son to die on a cross for you. He paid a ransom so that you could be a servant. Listen, it's not a game at the carnival where you, if you do something, you win something. That's not how it works. God knows it's hard because you want to get married. God knows it's hard because you want to have kids. God knows it's hard because your marriage is in crisis. God knows it's hard because you're lonely. God knows it's hard because your job's in jeopardy. God knows it's hard because you're a single parent. God knows it's hard because your, your health is failing you. God knows it's hard because you just don't, feel like getting out of bed a lot of days. God knows it's hard. Whatever you do, don't serve God so that you, you can get something from God. Serve God so that you can come out of the field sweaty and tired. You can walk into His house And you can serve him first. Because he's the master. And then in doing so, you realize something. You see, all the great servants in the room right now already know what I'm about to say is true. Because you experience it all the time. That when you come in from the field and you're tired. And there's a lot of things you'd rather be doing. But you come in and you start serving the master. You find out real quick that in serving God, that's where God is, isn't he? That's where God is. And actually, you're spending time with the master. Because when you're serving the master, he's there. You're never more like Christ than when you're serving somebody. It's the last Sunday in October. Another Pastor Appreciation Month behind us. Another 10 pounds upon me. Which I'm grateful for every one of them. 
Now Christmas is before us. I would just say this. If you were wondering, maybe you're not, but if you were, I'll tell you anyway. Wonder what Pastor Tony would like for Christmas. I'd like for all of you to get a job. Here. Be nice if my wife could come to church once in a while, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Be nice. I was talking with Lisa the other day, and we were just talking about something, and this is what she said to me. She said, I worry about her. I said, honey, are you doing okay? She said, I'm doing fine. So we were just talking about, you know, she is the epitome of a servant. She smokes me so bad it ain't even funny. And she said, you know, it breaks my heart that people miss out on the joy of serving. And I said, yeah, how so? She said, you know, we have people that come and drop their kids off at the nursery and they don't even go to church. I said, what? She said, yeah. So you know what I said? Who are they? <laughs> I want to know their name. You know what Lisa said? She said, that doesn't matter. She, get, I, she said, we get the opportunity to spend time with their kids that we otherwise wouldn't get. And I had to just sit down and go, okay, I just learned something. See, I was ready to execute justice. <laughs> and she's saying, no, it's about the kids. It's about the kids. Some of you are so amazing in what you do and how you do it. And God's done so many great things in our fellowship, but there's still, there's still problems. There's still people who don't do anything. I don't understand. I don't understand. You, no matter how old you are, could you rock a baby? Yeah. Have you seen some of our children's Sunday school teachers? Some of, some of our best, longest-serving Sunday school teachers are seniors, adults who just love the Lord and pour their hearts out into children that are two generations away from them. One of our foster parents... Needed some help with one of their foster kids and had to go out of town. So they need somebody to keep their foster kids. So they got that list of all of you that signed up to stand in the gap and offer respite. 
They called every single person on the list. Nobody responded. That's not the kind of church we are. Mm -mm. That's not the kind of church we are. That's not who God's called us to be. We need to have families waiting and ready. What do you need? You don't have to be going out of town to bring your kids by. Not a week has passed. I don't have a foster kid in my house. I'm, most of the time, well, I'm about to go to Brazil. Lisa's going to have one for overnight for three days by herself. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. You didn't come in here this morning to sit down at the table and be served, did you? No, we came here to serve the master. This afternoon, we're going to go out to that ball field at West Wortham. We're going to serve the master. And every smile that I see will be worth every drop of sweat that ran down my head. Every one. Jesus paid the ransom to deliver me so that I could be counted as a servant. Let's stand and bow our heads.